hello, hello, my lovely parent friends. And apparently we are still friends. And we're in episode 13 of the uh, Parenting Teen and Tween podcast. I am Dr. Nikki Naradin, and I'm your cruise director on this journey we called parenting. I kind of love to say the word cruise director because when I was young, I grew up watching something called The Love Boat and Julie was the cruise director and she was so beautiful and so fun. And so am I, and so are you. And we're gonna have the best time that we possibly can have in this journey. So this is the second time that I'm going to be recording this particular podcast. And for some reason, the recording that I did yesterday didn't have the audio on it. And I'm lucky I checked it because I switched it straight to my podcast platform and I did everything I normally did. And I wrote down the description and I kind of let it be and I didn't listen to the podcast. And part of the reason why I didn't listen to the podcast is because I want the podcast to be easy. I want to make sure that I can get a podcast a week out to you guys so that you don't miss anything. And if I indulge in my perfectionist self, but it's not even perfectionist. I just want people to love me. And I want to say the most brilliant things possible. And if I don't, or if I don't include everything, I'll probably not put something out and then you won't see anything. And then the stress level that comes from actually wanting to be loved and liked and thought about so well and so perfect would make it so that I couldn't do it. And I thought it was more important for me to put out content and share this with you and make the biggest impact that I possibly could than to try to make it perfect. So I generally don't listen to my podcasts. I just put them straight on and I allow them to be, unless there's some intensely glaring error about what's going on it goes right out to you and it's unedited. So it's really just my thinking coming out into the world. And I want my thinking out in the world because I have worked and worked and worked at trying to figure out what would make sense and how life would become better. And if your life becomes better then my life becomes better because what I see going on right now, especially for the patients I take care of, for the friends that I have, it looks really uncomfortable and it looks like it's heading not in a good direction. So I checked that podcast and there was no audio on the podcast. And all of a sudden I started thinking, my electronics aren't working. My video and audio and computer and everything I believe in terms of what should happen with my electronic ability, my virtual ability, my ability to get out there in some automated way was just sunk. And I have this manual about what I expect it to be like. I should be able to turn the computer on and it should do exactly what I expect it to do. And it didn't. Oh my God. I can't believe the kind of manual I have for electronics that I want them to work And I want them to work really easily and really well. And I don't want to have to think about it. And so when I have to think about it too much, I get really annoyed. And annoyed is such 
such an interesting feeling like to walk around being annoyed. Now I see people walking around annoyed constantly. They are annoyed about everything. And that looks like such a hard way to walk around. But also I find other people just running in the other direction. So it's very hard to stay close and connected to people when you're feeling annoyed all the time. It's very hard to stay close and connected to yourself when you're feeling annoyed all the time. And it's really hard to have a good time. And I am into having a good time even when it feels hard. So that was my annoying experience with my computer and with my podcast. But I don't know, I just decided to think that because it was a true thought. Like, so I'm always saying I'm not a positive unicorn and fairy thinker, but rather a thinker of what I can truly believe. And I did believe that there were probably some things in that podcast that I would have liked to have re-recorded. And there are probably some more things that I would have liked to have said. And the truth is, is that I probably won't get to all of them here anyway, and it won't be perfect, but it will be me and it will be me talking to you, which is pretty fantastic. So here I am again, week 13, I'm beyond a season, which is pretty great. And I'm in Nome and I just got back from that fishing village that I go to. So I'm four weeks on and four weeks off in Nome. And I do one week in a small fishing village called Shishmareth, which is a pretty great name. Now, I thought that that was a native name. I thought it had some fantastic meaning to it. But it turns out that Shishmareth is a Russian name. At some point, the Russians had controlled that small fishing village and they called it Shishmaref. And I have no idea what it means, but I do like saying the word shish. And so every time I go there and everybody knows this village as shish, I get to say the word shish and I'm like shish this and shish that. It's pretty shishy. Anyway, so I have to take a small plane to this fishing village and it is an airline called Bering Air, which I love. And the first pilot that brought me over to the fishing village is this pilot that I just trust and have flown me many a time. So I know that I'm gonna get there safely. But the truth is, is I'm afraid of heights and I'm afraid of flying, which is not a very good thing when you're traveling every month somewhere fairly far. And then you're traveling in these small little eight person Cessna minivans to a fishing village that has weather. And I have weather in quotes here because you never know what that weather is. It could be stormy. It could be windy. I'm watching windy.com all the time to see what my weather is like in that particular fishing village. And you never know if you're going to get there. So if you're afraid of flying, it's not a great idea. So a long time ago, and I might've told you about this before, I definitely blogged about it. I did decide to think that turbulence will happen and nothing has gone wrong. And then I also decided to think that these pilots actually wanna live too. So I know that this wonderful pilot, Jason, who has been flying forever and they train their pilots so beautifully at Bering Air and they don't fly when the weather is really extreme in any way or conditions are dangerous, that I would get there okay with that thought that turbulence will happen and the pilot doesn't want to die. So I got there and that was really great. And then it's always difficult to be there. And the difficulty there is that I'm generally sleeping in the clinic and I'm often sleeping on the floor. And I don't sleep really well to begin with. I don't know about you guys, but I'd say I probably sleep one out of every four nights. 
because by about the fourth night, I have accumulated enough things to think about that it somehow inhabits my sleep pattern and I don't sleep. And so I've really been working on not making that a problem. And it's been interesting because I think we're sold this idea that we have to sleep and we have to sleep a certain amount of time. And if we don't sleep a certain amount of time, I guess I'm assuming that people think they're going to die. Now, I know that I'm not going to die if I don't sleep one every four nights. Maybe I'll have a little bit of a harder day the next day, but I do get to decide what I make it mean in the process. So I've really worked on when I'm not sleeping that I tell myself that I am relaxing. And that is true. I am relaxing. I might not be going into a deep REM sleep, but I am definitely relaxing my body and that's restorative and that's good. And then I try to not go through that internal freak out that happens when you're not sleeping that just makes things worse. And so I'll start to do some of those positive parenting reps that I do, the ones where I concentrate or focus on a certain sensation of my body. Maybe I'll start to focus on my breath and decide to hear the sound of my breathing or to feel the temperature difference in my breath as it goes in. There's a lot that I end up doing. And then I tell myself that that is also useful and helpful and that I'm doing well when that happens. So I want to encourage you all, if you can, to not create the speech around the not sleeping that actually creates the suffering. So what I mean is that not sleeping is something that happened to you. You didn't sleep. That was a circumstance. That was true. But it's all that speak around, I'm going to be so tired the next day. I can't believe I'm not going to sleep. I'm never going to make it through. That creates the suffering on the fatigue. Now, I have not slept before for reasons that I loved. Maybe I was with a great partner and having a wonderful night of whoop-de-doo or whatever it is. Or maybe I was out having some fun and dancing and I could go the whole night and I could wake up the next day and I'd be fine. And I wouldn't be saying those horrible things to myself. So decide if you can to say a true thought about what was going on related to your sleep or about what the next day would be like. Often I say, this is what I got today and it's good enough. Doesn't have to look any particular way. Actually, those days that I don't sleep, I end up making my way through the day in a much more relaxed way. I give myself a break. I like myself a little bit more. I sometimes even ask my clients to be a little more forgiving of me because I didn't sleep. So there's a lot that I end up doing that actually I find very helpful on those days that I don't sleep. And because I haven't made it a thing in my mind, the next day doesn't become a day that I don't sleep. But I transgress or I, uh, I don't know what that word is. I'm, I'm off the topic. I transgress. I think transgressing is probably not something that I want to do. I digress. Yes. But I digress from the topic that I was going to speak to today. So what I was going to speak about today was a little bit about young people's oppression and then about teens and finances, which I find to be an interesting topic because somebody came into me the other day and they said, my teenager thinks that I'm made of money. My teenager thinks that money grows on trees and they somehow feel entitled. And the parent was really upset about that. Now, I think that's a really interesting thought that money grows on trees. It actually does. If you look at the physical 
version of money. It, it's a piece of paper. So it does actually grow on trees and it is kind of created. So it's an interesting thing. Like, do we create more? Do we not create more? I don't really understand the economics of things. I'm not an economist. I'm not that interested in it, but I do think that the concept of money is really interesting. And a lot of people have very different feelings about money. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about young people's oppression, because last week we spoke about parents' oppression, where you didn't get much support, you had no roadmap, nobody is paying you for this, and then everybody blames you if something goes wrong. The way young people's oppression worked is it's the first time that you actually know that somebody who is bigger, somebody who has economic power over you, somebody who has some kind of control can have authority over somebody who doesn't, somebody who's smaller, somebody who has no ability to make money, and somebody who don't, doesn't have that type of control. And when I mean control, I mean any agency within the system that we're living with. They can't vote, they can't make decisions, they can't decide what it is they're going to do, they can't even travel themselves. So it's an interesting thing because we don't usually think about young people that way. In some ways, we believe that their lives are easy, that they don't have to take on the responsibility. And that's true. But they also don't have much agency over their own lives. And even when they dig their heels in, and even when they give you tons of attitude, and even when they're fighting real hard or asking for things, the truth is, is that they still have to do what the adults tell them to do on some level, because they don't have the authority to buy what they want to buy, or they don't have the ability to make the kind of money that they want to make. So that's young people's oppression. And the reason why I think it's so important is that we have a huge responsibility to notice that that's going on and to be as kind and gentle as we can. And the reason why is that because that sets the stage for all the other oppressions that will happen afterwards. The oppression of a man somehow oppressing a woman and the sexism that takes place because there is more power there. The oppression of what happens to poor people under the authority of somebody who has more money. Racism all the other different types of isms that we talk about. And I think that that stage is set with how people have dealt with that initial oppression, which is young people's oppression. Now, the reason why I'm talking about that, and I'm interested in teen finances, just because I had a patient who had come in and talked about that, is that when you have an economic advantage over your young person, then you have all the power, really. They can't really go and make their own money. We might decide to set the stage about what they can earn by doing their chores, but still we won't give them enough to possibly get what it is that they want or they need. And then we get to decide what's important to spend the money on or not spend the money on. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm just saying it's a really fascinating thing to notice. So I think about my childhood and related to money. And I knew very early on that the money was not mine, that it was my parents' money and that it wasn't mine to spend. And anything that I wanted, I should be grateful for, whether I liked it or I didn't like it. But the interesting part is that my mother didn't work. 
And so this money was hers just by virtue of the fact that she was married to this man who made money, who was my father. Now, I didn't ask to be born. I just happened to be born into the family, but somehow the money wasn't mine and I couldn't have it. And I not only couldn't have it, I couldn't ask for it. And if I asked for it, I was entitled. And if I asked for something that somebody else didn't believe was important, I was wasting it. So it was really interesting to think about money from that perspective. The other part of it that I thought was really fascinating is I had no idea how much we had. It was extremely secretive. So nobody would tell me how much money we had because the idea back then is somehow it would be used against us in some way. Either we had too much and I would want more and maybe I would tell other people how much we had and other people would want our money or maybe they would be jealous or maybe they would take it in some way. So I had no idea what was going on. The other thing is maybe we were poor. I had no idea about that either. And so people didn't tell me about the money because they were embarrassed. It was a mystery. And to this day, I still believe that we keep that money thing mysterious. I know that my, my husband has a philosophy that there's nothing good about telling a young person about money. Maybe he believes, and I don't know, because I never really asked him about this, that they're going to go and share it with the rest of the world, or they're going to want too much of it. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but somehow this money thing needs to stay secretive. So fast forward to today, where I will decide to spend money in the ways that I want, but my kids don't get to spend money in the ways that they want without asking. And again, I'm not saying that's bad. I just say that we don't understand what's going on with it. So I will allow myself to go out and buy breakfast when I go out with my girlfriends and I do that every Friday, I will allow myself to go out and buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks if I feel like it. But my kids don't actually get to do that. And when we go out with my children, which I find really fascinating, and they want to get a drink with a meal, I decided that that's a big waste of money. That drinking actually adds and pads to the bill and we should just spend it on food because we're going out to eat. Now, I don't know why I believe that or not, but that is the way we have spent our time going out with my family. So I decided that I wasn't going to keep money a secret anymore, that I was going to tell my family and my young people how much I made, how much we spent per month, what I spent it on or didn't spend it on. And it turns out I spend it on a lot of things that I don't even think about how much I wanted to save or not save and how much was left. And also how much of it was important to me. And I also wanted to know what was important to them to spend it on. Now, I might have agreed or not agreed about it, but I was going to open myself up to listening to whether they had enough money to spend it on things that were important to them and figure out how to get that to them or not. But they were also able to tell me what they thought wasn't important for me. So I am urging you all to have an open conversation about money. And the way you're gonna do that is you're gonna have to 
look at what your money beliefs were and do those thought downloads related to money and separate your thoughts from your circumstances and poke those holes into what you believed money was when you were young and what you were taught about it, everything. And then I want you to bring that back to present time and have an open conversation with your family and your teenagers about what you had, about what you were spending, about what you thought was important, and about what they were spending and what they thought was important. And see if you can come to some understanding in relation to money. And not decide that they are just entitled little money suckers, which is what I believe and what I think most people had believed up to this point, but they do have reasoning behind what it is they want, whether we think it's a good reason or not. And again, ultimately we get to decide, but I think that conversation becomes balanced. And I think you'll be happily surprised at what kind of leadership your teens will take on in relation to money and their responsibility to the family. All right, that is what I got for you. So I want you to go to my website, drnickynarodin.com and sign up for my From Hostility to Harmony, from my Conflict to Connection, so you can stop fighting and screaming and worrying boot camp. It's incredibly inexpensive. It's only $97. It's all automated, so you could do it on your own terms. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to have Q&A sessions and office hours once a week, so you can have actually personal contact with me, which is really great. Please like rate, review, and share this podcast so that everybody could get this information. I want to impact the whole world. Remember, our teenagers are launching. We don't have a lot of time, but when they go out, they are the one that's going to change the world. And I want us to change that future generational direction that we go. The generational trauma will stop with you. The buck stops with you and you have that ability. You're the leader of the family and you can change things immediately. Now, also, when you go to the website, get a copy of my book and share it with everybody you can. All right. I love you guys and have a wonderful week. Bye.